1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 140 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I want to say Happy New Year to Alison Tate and to everyone listening, of course.
0: Happy New Year, Val. I can't believe we're in 2017.
1: I know. Like, where did 2016 go?
0: I don't know. I think it disappeared for me into a hole of writing manuscripts. Yeah. (laughs) They were buried in words. But it's kind of, you know, like here we are, fresh new year, ready to go, starting again. Off we go. And 140 episodes as well.
1: Yeah, 140 episodes. Can you believe it?
0: No, it's a lot of talking, Valerie.
1: I feel like, because um, you know how like 2016 literally disappeared into thin air? Yeah. Well, I feel like it's oh, just um, uh, it's, time is accelerating, don't you think?
0: Like, yeah, they do. you know what that is though? They do say that happens to you when you get old, Val. <laughs> yes, it happens when you get older. I'd hopefully, you know,
1: like to you there. But I have been reading this book called Thank You for Being Late, An Optimist's oh. Guide to Thriving in the Age of Accelerations. Okay. And it's by one of my favourite authors, Thomas Friedman, who, oh, he's just an amazing author. I remember the first book I read of his was called The World is Flat and it was so compelling and so fascinating and so well written that I literally couldn't put it down. I got on the treadmill and couldn't put it down and, oh. you know, I was still reading while Can I was you walking. you read while down. walking? Yeah, well, on the treadmill you came because you're not going to fall into a ditch or anything. Mm, wow. Yeah, it's a lot safer. Mm. Uh, anyway, this book um, is just as fascinating and it's about the fact that time, and it's not only us getting older, Al, oh, it's okay, also right. the fact Sorry. that the, the speed of technology in particular and those sorts of things, The pe- things just evolve at a much faster rate than before. So what used to happen in 30 years now happens in three years and soon Mm. will happen in three months. And you end up feeling really dislocated and really discombobulated because there's just no human way to keep up.
0: Yeah, no, I I would have to agree with that. And I I find too um, one thing that I have really enjoyed about the the Christmas break, et cetera, has just been the the disconnect from the internet Um, because I I always find like towards the end of the year – I just because you've got sort of you know the the looming Christmas deadline, like why it's such a big deadline, I don't know, but it sort of is, so you've got that deadline. Mm-hmm. Um for me, it's the school holiday thing and knowing that my work patterns are going to be dislocated. Mm-hmm. but it's just that, um, you know, I, I find uh, the the anxiety levels uh, around Christmas are amplified oh, yeah. because of social media. Like you, you're just getting, and of course, the news cycle and so many terrible things have been happening, and it just all seems to come. Kind of the level of outrage as everyone gets more tired towards the end of the year starts to ramp up, and suddenly you're kind of taking on a whole lot of stuff that's really not yours, mm. and yet you feel like it's yours. So mm. getting away from that, I just. You know, I, I really feel like everybody just needs to take those detoxes on a regular basis and, yes. and step out of the social media cycle. It's not, really important. Yeah, not just at
1: Christmas time when, you know, it's no. kind
0: of easier to, but maybe yeah, throughout yeah. the year as well. Just more regularly, I think. it's. I just really feel because then you get back in touch with the fact that, you know, if you're actually just looking at the world on a daily basis you know off the internet yes things just kind of roll along like it's not like time has really you know accelerated it's just that Mm. it feels more accelerated I think
1: yes yes and you know what I've stopped doing kind of related to the social media thing and it's kind of being disconnected but still connected because I can't really well you can't be not can you unfortunately (laughs) yeah but um, on my iPhone, you know how on your phone there's a news app? It's like yeah. Apple News. And it's, yeah. I don't know what Apple does to curate their news or what algorithm they choose to curate their news. But I actually found myself, A, getting more anxious and B, getting more down when I used to read Specifically, the the news on the Apple News app, um, because mm-hmm. it, I found that it just curated stuff that it was, because you know how it chooses what it what appears in the in the app. Yeah. I found that it's just it's just stuff that was um, just made
0: you think the world was a shit place. And
1: I don't actually a, use
0: it. I never read it. Oh, I never I look to. at it.
1: Now I won't let myself. No, because I never look for, at it for that reason.
0: No, I okay. choose I choose my news sources really carefully, and mm. I, I think that that's probably something that you mean you never used to really have to think about that, but now you do. um so I actually choose my news sources really carefully. And the other thing that I do, and I don't know if you do this, but I actually to have i I have notifications off on all of my apps, all of them oh, every I, single one really? and I so yeah, so I only look at them when I choose to look at them.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, I I have some on and some off, you know, but um, definitely the news thing, I'm going back to reading SMH and just the regular newspapers because the Apple News app is just too depressing. They should change it.
0: Anyway, oh, on, a, on a happier note, <laughs> <laughs> what an uplifting and upbeat way yes. we've chosen to start the Sorry, year. everyone. Excellent. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year! We are Let's actually, start that again. Yes, we are actually <laughs> excited about
1: this year, and we want to give our first shout out to Hayley Dory Glasson. What a great name, huh? Yeah, Haley Dory Glasson. Um, and Haley left us a review on iTunes and has said, I love, so you want to be a writer podcast. I always look forward to a new episode to download and listen to when I go and pick up my boss's daughter from her work. Keep up the awesome work, Valerie and Allison. I'm learning so much as I'm currently writing my first novel. Wow. Awesome. Congratulations, Hayley. I hope it's going well. Yeah, that's just, that's very exciting. And thank you so mm. much for taking the time to leave us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. We and, do. of course, if you do have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we would be most grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings. Oh, yeah. I've got a
0: thank you as well, if you oh, don't yes. mind, Val. I you just want to throw a thank you out to all of the um, mums, and mostly they are mums, who have sent me messages from their children. Children, um, oh. Who've received my books for <laughs> Christmas, etc. How cute! And have sent me messages to say how much uh, they've liked the books. I got one today uh, from Lillian, who's ten, and she. Oh. Um, she loves the books and she's so excited that there's another book coming in, uh, in April. And it just, um, honestly, it makes my day when I hear that readers are enjoying them, um, particularly the demographic, you know, the actual 10-year-old target market, um, yes. 10 to 12. And so, I yeah, look, at, um, I just want to say thanks to the mums who, who do let me know and who do send me those messages because um, it really brightens my day. Oh, how
1: awesome! It must be. It yeah. must feel so good to get those little messages. Oh, uh, look, it
0: really does. It's just—it's that whole thing of, like, I think sometimes when you're an an author, you get so caught up. Like, a, you know, I, I I had a very busy writing year last year, and yes. and uh, you know, I didn't actually have any new books published last year, and so you feel like you're, you're just writing and writing and writing, and it's kind of going out into the abyss, and nothing's really happening. And um, so to actually receive letters and messages um from from actual readers it just Mm. reminds you that you know your stories matter and that people are reading them and it's um and, and loving them. You know, they, they yeah. love them and it and it uh, it really just bolsters me so much. So I would say this, if you have a favourite author or your child has a favourite author, let them know. Honestly, it makes such a difference to my day to mm-hmm. know that someone out there is is loving, you know, Quinn and, and all the, the other fabulous cast of the Mapmaker Chronicle. So anyway, that was yeah, just That's my upbeat note for the day.
1: Yeah, but it's so easy nowadays to reach out to your favourite authors because in the past you had no idea how to contact them, no address, no no, nothing. And now you can just reach out to them on social media or through their websites or whatever, so it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. All right, let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. Now because we are sort of still a little bit in the silly season, it is still summer in Australia. A lot of people haven't quite gone back to work yet. It's definitely school holidays. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of writers and emerging writers are actually away. So they've gone on their holidays
0: or they're about and, to go which is even more fun
1: yes or they're about to go like yourself mm. so there is uh, a post on the right life which is called six packing tips for writers who want to hit the road <laughs> okay um, now of course you can find all of our, the links that we mentioned in this episode in the show notes which you can find at so you want to be a but I thought this post was interesting because, of course, it depends on where you're going, like your destination, like the, what you'd pack if you go into Kathmandu or climbing to Everest mm. base camp, is totally different if you're staying at the Four Seasons in Paris, right?
0: Which, of course, you yes. do all the time, don't you? We? Oh, well, clearly, darling. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've you know we've recorded podcasts from there so often, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. So,
1: um, uh, there's a couple of things. Firstly. My thing is, do you expect to write? Because I find, and you tell me what you think, Al. But I find when I go on a trip, like that's a non-business trip, yeah, I, I, I often do have the intention to write because I think you know I'm going to have this time. It's not a work trip, and not so on. And I kind of find that fifty percent of the time, that is actually successful and I just get so much done. I throw myself into it, particularly, strangely, if it's a beach type, you know, stuff Environment. With, yeah, environment. Mm. But 50% of the time I barely can write a tweet, let alone mm. an actual article or manuscript. So mm. what do you find when you go away? I do nothing. You don't write anything?
0: Nothing. Unless, like, if I go away, as you say, for work or something like that, and I'm on my own, and I go, and i have got a in a hotel room, uh, Mm. yes, I will, I'll get some stuff done. But if I'm going away with the family or whatever, I just, I, I don't go with the intention of writing ever. Yes, I mean, I take my iPad with me because I, I have my iPad with the keyboard you know hmm. cover so the Logitech one hmm. so i use that you know if if i had it was suddenly struck by an idea like if i was you know felled in the street by a <laughs> flash of genius um, yeah. which you know happens to me so often so often i, uh, so often. I would um, i would go and i would just tap out that idea but i don't start i don't write like that it's just not right. what i do it's not my it's so i guess for me my routine is so ingrained now that when I go away, I go away. I just go and I do nothing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I treat it, well, I just treat it as, as a head, some head space. I, what I do probably is a lot of thinking, subconscious yeah. thinking, and and there's a lot of stuff going on in my mind always, as we know, um, people probably talking to me, et cetera, et cetera, but I don't actually write anything. People
1: talking yeah. to you in your mind. Did you yeah, just say know. that? I'm a writer. Who's That's talking what happens. to
0: you in your mind? Characters will pop up and, oh. you know, <laughs> I have some things going on. Honestly, I, I, I am one of the I, – I found myself in a – I was I ordered a milkshake one day. This is the most embarrassing <laughs> thing that has ever happened to me. Yeah. I ordered a milkshake and I'm standing in the milkshake shop and – as I was waiting for it to happen, I was playing a scene in my head. Like I had this, I was working on something and I had this whole scene going in my head and characters talking to each other and this was going to happen and that was going to happen. And the woman handed me the milkshake and I responded to her as though she was the the last character that had spoken in my head. (laughs) So out came this, and she just looked at me and I was like, (sighs) it was so embarrassing. And I just, uh, all I could say was, Sorry, my mind was elsewhere. What did you Thank say? you very much, and what run out of the say? shop because it was it was anything. an announcement. It was like I was on stage. It exactly. was like, I don't exactly remember what I said, but I it was you kind of
1: writing one of your hot romances.
0: No, I was writing—I was writing a, a Mapmaker Chronicles book. So it was some kind of—it was a conversation. i don't even know who it was. Who it was about it was a couple of years ago now. I've never forgotten it though, because it was—it was like. It was like I came out of a dream and these words came out of my mouth in this large, stagish voice with McQueen, the whole place. It's the end of the world. Pretty much. Pretty much that. I hope we don't run into the dragon. You know, it was that kind of stuff. And she just looked at me like, okay. And I, yeah, I just, sorry, thank you. My, my mind was elsewhere. And Hilarious. In the oh shop. I know, so this is what goes on in my head so this is the kind of reason why I don't go away intending to write because <laughs> I really need to give my mind a rest <laughs> uh, okay I'm, I'm sure that any writer out there that's listening to me would have been in this situation at some point please let me know if you conduct <laughs> entire scenes and conversations in your head so I don't feel like it's just me
1: Oh, that is just too funny for words. Okay, so anyway, if you wanted Sorry. to pack light and you don't want to bring a laptop, you can bring a tablet, like either Alison brings her iPad or you can bring a Surface tablet, which is also awesome. Um, but if you want to go even more lightweight, get a keyboard to go with your phone because I have done that on occasion where um, and I bought a, like a, just a foldable keyboard on eBay. So basically you have your phone and your keyboard. They're practically they're almost the same size and you can literally fit it in your handbag or even your your bum bag if you wear such things. Or I just recently bought a um this is great for travelling and if you're a writer and you want to do this, I bought a Scott E vest, um, Scott as in s C O T T. E, the letter E, and then vest, and it's just got it's got like nineteen pockets. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they can fit. That, that are designed, so you look like you're about to
0: hike up a mountain.
1: No, that are designed to fit every. like So you don't have to carry a bag. It even has um a an, a a zip where you can thread your um ear like your technology, like your cables, so that mm-hmm. no one can see them, and you can just put them in your ears. <laughs>
0: Oh my anyway. god. Okay, so I've just looked you need to go to scottevest.com <laughs> so that you can have a look at what Valerie is currently sporting. No, but I bought the nice on her daily one. Walk. I bought the tr-
1: I bought the trench coat. It was and it was on special. Thank you, thank you. to um <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> thank you to Cheryl from Business Chic who told me about it. <laughs>
0: Why so you not- could just wear your Scotty vest and you would be like you wouldn't need anything. You wouldn't even need a suitcase. you just got everything on
1: you. That's right because there would be a place for your digital voice recorder. There would be a place for your tablet. There's there's an actual pocket you can fit an entire tablet in.
0: You're kidding.
1: No, and there's a place for your sunglasses with even a sunglass wiper. <laughs>
0: Oh, oh, Val, you're so modern.
1: Oh, just, and, a, and a pocket for your bo- water bottle. It you've even seriously never
0: met an accessory you didn't like, have you? <laughs> <laughs> and a, now you can carry them all at once? You can.
1: Like seriously, your water bottle, there's even an elastic to hold your water bottle in there and a little thing to hook onto your keys.
0: Okay. <laughs> this is not sponsored, by the way. I have never this heard of this thing sponsored. until I just seen it online. But please have a look at it and then I want you to all picture Valerie Koo <laughs> striding the streets in her Scotty vest,
1: okay? That's right. I bought the nice blue
0: colour. Anyway. <laughs> so let's move let's on.
1: Move <laughs> on. This
0: then. is out of control.
1: Yes. Two um ten top punctuation. Problems for Writers, which is from Mm -hmm. justpublishingadvice.com. And Mm -hmm. there's the usual suspects, you know, bad use of commas or the use of its and its with the apostrophe in the wrong way. Apostrophes are always a problem. Mm -hmm. But one thing that is important, I think, is misuse of quotation marks. I see this Mm -hmm. literally every day. Me too. too.
0: I am
1: correcting something every single
0: day. I'm constantly surprised by it as well.
1: It's like it's I don't know a, why I'm
0: constantly surprised. Why,
1: yes, I, am. So, <laughs> I think I'd be over it by now. As a general rule, if you're going to use double double quote marks, and then you have a quote within a quote, you don't have double quote marks within double quote marks. You no. either have single quote marks within double quote marks, or you have double quote marks within single quote marks. But mm-hmm. you never have the same; mm. it just looks dumb. And it's rubbish. well
0: <laughs> no, I think he need to be a little bit less, you know, maybe a little bit more sort of sensitive than that. Sorry. <laughs> it just so- – it- yeah. It's not quite right, shall we say? It's,
1: it's not quite right. Hmm. So, um, that is one that I see a lot and definitely needs to be fixed. But also there is often a misuse of dashes and hyphens. Do you find that as a no, nice? no, stop?
0: No, we can't. We haven't moved on yet. We have oh, to go yeah, back go. Okay, because go back. Go I know back. your quote your single quote, double quote thing is your thing with quote yes. marks. Oh, My yeah. thing with quote marks is this. All the punctuation marks go inside the quotation oh, marks. Oh yes. The full stop at the end, the question mark at the end, the exclamation mark at the end, everything goes within the quotation marks. And if you can remember that, the full stop always goes before the last quotation mark, then you will avoid one of the most common mistakes that I see all the time in punctuation.
1: And that is when it's a full sentence. If it's a sentence fragment at the end, however, Mm -hmm. it can go outside the… It is. But we are talking
0: about full Full. quotes and they go… In, if it's a full In quote, quote, inside the quotation mark. Absolutely,
1: yes. Mm. All right. We both have bugbears. But, yes, the other one I was mentioning was the hyphen instead of the dash. Now, a hyphen <laughs> actually bridges two or more related words like, you know, face-to-face mm. training or day-to-day yeah activities uh and they would all be hyphenated but a dash is actually slightly longer than a hyphen and has Mm. a totally different purpose so make sure you're using the right thing the purpose of a dash is sometimes just to um uh it's almost
0: parenthetic parenthetical
1: (laughs) Parenthetical. like
0: you would use brackets Hmm. I, I tend to forgive this one a little bit more, though, because I, I feel a lot of this comes from keyboard use rather than necessarily – like it's it's a, uh, not necessarily understanding that you need to do an option dash to get your M dash or, you yes. know, whatever. Like I think it's a, I, I think it can often be more of a keyboard situation than a – if people put a hyphen, they're usually intending it to be a dash, but the keyboard just, you know, hasn't – there's limitations. Yes, there I, are I'm some okay. keyboard issues. I'm okay with that one.
1: Yes. And lately, anyone who's received, I don't know whether you've been analysing the texts and some of the messages I've been sending you, Al, but lately I have quite possibly appeared illiterate to people Mm -hmm. when I've been sending my messages because I've been using the swipe keyboard, um, Uh, S-W-Y-P-E. And it's a keyboard where you just run your fingers all over. You don't have to lift your finger up. You (laughs) literally swipe from letter to letter. And it it guesses 95% of the time exactly the word that you're going for which is 95%. kind of amazing but there's 5% where it's just totally different and sometimes i send my text and i read it and i go oh my god
0: <laughs> i just assume you had fat fingers that day or something you know? i don't even think to be honest, i don't even think about stuff like that i tend to type when i whenever i send a message i i always get um when I write, like, Monday, it it's always M-O-N-D-S-Y because there's always, oh, like, a I always have that fat finger on the A. So, I you know, oh. I'm very forgiving of text issues. I just feel yeah. like, you know. Aren't I am, you? I'm You're- not forgiving of of full stops outside of no quote marks but I am forgiving of text issues. All right. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on.
1: Let's move on to a post on Up Rocks. And mm-hmm. that is the science behind why you should keep reading print books. Okay. Because you know, as you know, I'm a big fan of the Kindle, but La- not lately. I mean, in the past year or so, I have come to adore my local bookshop mm. um, because it's just awesome, and I am literally there every single weekend, and I'm literally buying books every single weekend. Yay! And we love people like you. Yay. Yeah, you know. Previously, I lived near bookshops, but they. This one's just particularly special, mm.
0: um,
1: and so and they are so good at their curation. With the exception of their business books, and I have subtly tried to hint to them that they should get me to curate their business books, but they haven't (laughs) quite got the hint yet. But I'm I'm totally going to take over your bookshop. Anyway, (laughs) I'm working on it. But the rest of the store, they change it up all the time, and they're constantly like it's it's they really put a lot of effort into it, and they're very successful as a result. They have um, author readings there, um, author uh, talks there on a regular basis. It's just really good. Do you Um, think you should give
0: them a shout out, seeing as you've talked them up so much.
1: Do you <laughs> um, want to mention
0: yes. their name?
1: Uh, yeah, but I, but they might take offence about the whole business book thing.
0: Okay, well we'll leave it, and then we'll yeah. in a future issue when we're yeah. not talking about their okay. business book situation, <laughs> then you can give them a shout out.
1: Okay, uh, they. Um, uh, but because of it's just such a great environment, and they really encourage the process of discovery. Because I mm. now literally. Um, buy books that I have discovered, not mm-hmm. that I've necessarily read in the paper and go, I'm going to go and get that book. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's, yep. they really facilitate that process of discovery uh, and they are all of print books. So now my usage of print and Kindle has been tipped way more into the print area. Now we all know that they're Better for you when you sleep that when you're reading uh, print books because it's not great to look at a computer screen when you are um, just before you go to sleep. But interestingly, this post also says that they're vital for childhood development and comprehension. Ah. So, yeah. Now it's it quotes an article from the New York Times outlining the problem with using e-readers with children, and in a 2013 study, they discovered that when children aged 3 to 5 were read to from an electronic book. They had a lower reading comprehension score than children being read to from a traditional storybook.
0: Oh. And
1: they found that the device was actually distracting the kid from the actual story. Oh. So if you are going to increase the comprehension of your kids, if you, you know, believe this article, then you should definitely be doing it with pink books more so than with electronic books.
0: Mm. mm. Okay. I don't think I've ever read an e book to my children ever. But, but maybe no, but, that's an age thing because they're apps, like they're now thirteen and ten. Yeah, right. So it's probably that. And also I don't tend to I mean, I occasionally read e books on my, you know, Kindle thing. Mm. Um I just have the app. I don't have an actual Kindle, um, but I only do it if it's um, something that I know that I'm definitely not going to want to keep. For starters, um, like if it's just something like holiday reads, I, I will read on my on oh, my yes. um on my Kindle. Yes, but yeah, mostly I I like print. I'm just old school about you know most things though, so I, I don't think anyone can take my mm. my word for it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but my boys don't read ebooks at all ever. Really? No. Okay. It's all print, yeah.
1: Yeah. I guess... Yeah, well, I think that also these days, I think it's important to mention this because I've noticed, um, and I only say this not because I necessarily read picture books um, uh, regularly, but <laughs> I have met many, I, interestingly, I've met quite a number of startups, so startup founders who want to create the picture book experience, but on an app like or a tablet or whatever. So effectively, they're reading. It, they're 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 trying to encourage reading on on an e-reader, not necessarily on a Kindle, but on their mm. app. Mm. Anyway, so, let us move yeah, on.
0: Yeah, so I, I'd be interested to know, like, if, if you if you're um you know out there in social media land, um mm. do you do you read picture books to your kids on an app, or you know do you read to yeah. kids? You you know are your kids using Kindles a lot? I'm just I'm interested because I it's always good to know. Um, what other people are doing. So, you know, if you have thoughts on this and you would like to share them with me, then please do on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, because I'm I'm interested in in what other parents are doing always.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear from you. Now we have some exciting things planned for this podcast for 2017, but we need your help, don't we? Al, we do.
0: We do. We need your help. We, we need your questions. Help. That's what we exactly. need. We need your questions. We need your we questions. We need your questions.
1: And some questions have already come in and we'd love to hear from you because we would love to answer your questions. And if you have questions about the world of writing and publishing, of course, (laughs) um, then please do feel free to email us podcast at au. So that's podcast at au, and we will answer them in an upcoming episode, won't we?
0: And in an upbeat way. We'll be looking for um, but we're looking for fiction, nonfiction features, copywriting, corporate mm. writing, any kind of, any kind of question about writing is is what we're we're interested yep. in.
1: Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Let's move let's on. move on to our giveaway for this week. Oh so mm-hmm. The Girl on the Train. You know oh. The Sensation, the book, the movie, Emily Blunt. It's just you know, taken the world by a storm. Mm-hmm. So we have five packs of The Girl on the Train book and DVD to give away. Either if you loved it so much, you want your own copy, or you have been living under a rock and haven't read the book or seen the <laughs> movie, you can win a book and DVD. And we have five packs to give away. Now, um, entries actually open on the 9th of January, so coming very soon, but, and they close on the 23rd of January. So uh, where you'd go to enter is writerscentercomau slash win. That's writerscentercomau slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular five-week online course in copywriting essentials will teach you how to turn your writing skills into a weapon of mass persuasion. Learn the seven steps to creating compelling copy, how to take a creative brief, the secrets of SEO and much more so you can begin earning good money immediately. Learn online from wherever you are and get your own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash essentials. All right, Al, are we mm. ready for the word of the week?
0: i always ready, always ready. I can't wait for a whole another year of word of the week. I'm this so could, ready for it.
1: This could be word of the year.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, right. yeah,
1: yeah. It's um, a big setup. Yeah, interesting one to start 2017 off with. But I thought, hey, why not? I did wonder, should I do this? Should I not? And I thought, oh, yeah, let's just do it. Righto. Uh, okay, it is. Fart. Fart? It's <laughs> Fart.
0: Have I somehow wandered into an Andy Griffiths book? What do you yeah. mean it's fart? <laughs> You were telling me it's bomb next.
1: <laughs> Possibly. All
0: oh, right. So talk was, me through fart, Valerie. <laughs>
1: so I've got this book. Um, one of my wordy books. You know, I've got like heaps of wordy books because i love Yeah, them. I do. Uh so this is an interesting tale from my book. Well not my book, a book that I own called The Etymologicon. The Etymologicon. Mm-hmm. Now, it says Aubrey's brief lives, which is a <clears throat> a book or a story, contains this sad story about the 17th Earl of Oxford. So this is from the story. This Earl of Oxford, making of his low obeisance to the Queen Elizabeth, happened to let out a fart at which he was so abashed and ashamed that he went to travel seven years. On his return, the Queen welcomed him home and said, My Lord, I had forgotten the fart. So, fart was def- the, the, the word. Yeah, or not the the word fart has definitely been in usage for ah oh, well centuries. Obviously, um, um, it goes on to say farts are quickly delivered and slowly forgotten.
0: <laughs> clearly,
1: the English language though has had much more than seven years to let the world forget its flatulence. The meaning of the original the original word mean um, that sorry. The, the the meaning of the original thing means to slowly peter out. Right. Yeah. Take, okay. for example, the phrase peter out. Nobody's quite sure where it came from, but one of the best theories is that it comes from the French word peter, mm-hmm. which means fart. Mm-hmm. And so I'm uh, probably not pr- pronouncing it right. It's probably no. "peter" or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did look up from French dictionaries, and it does mean fart.
0: Right. Now you can all sleep. I yep. I. <laughs> <laughs> that's as clear as mud. That's great. Thanks, Val. Clear as one. mud. What's so unclear about it? So, fart comes from from the French. Peter. Okay. Mm. Which means. To slowly. But, what does it mean?
1: No, but because a fart actually does peter slowly out. Slowly peter out. I yes, see.
0: That's where. Mm. Okay. Good. Go well, I'm happy with that. <laughs> and we can all start 2017 oh, you clear very in the knowledge of what my, fart means and where it came from.
1: Great. I'm very excited about my word of the week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. All right, I, loved it I loved it, Val. I loved it. Yeah, sure. We'll be talking about it for days to come. <laughs> not
1: happy. All right. I'm going to move on to our writer in residence this week. Okay. Okay. Who is it? So I chatted to Beatrice Collin and she has written her sixth novel to capture what we cannot keep because when I read the blurb of this book I thought, you know, oh, look, I I think I want to go there, as in I wanted to be transported into that story. Um, And I'll just read one sentence from the summary. Set against the construction of the Eiffel Tower, a young Scottish widow and a French engineer challenge the constraints of class and wealth as they fall in love. And I just mm-hmm. thought, you know what, what a great summer read, you know, to be transported yeah. into Paris. I think, um, you know, I, I thought... Oh, yeah. you know, and that's,
0: that's why I you thought. thought, let's find out more about this.
1: Yes, and let's find out more about Beatrice. So she's a lecturer in creative writing at Strathclyde University in Glasgow and is also a former journalist and has written obviously a number of books, and this is her sixth novel. So let's have a listen to Beatrice Thanks so much for joining us today, Beatrice.
2: Thank you for asking. This is very yeah, well, we're, we're
1: very keen to talk to you because you've written such a wonderful book to capture what we cannot keep. Now, for some of the readers, I mean, readers and listeners who haven't read your book yet, can you tell us what it's about?
2: Yeah, it's about um, it's a historical book set in eighteen the eighteen eighties in France in Paris, and it's about a woman who leaves Glasgow in Scotland, um, to go to Paris to look after these two yeah, young people really um in their twenties, and she meets an engineer who was involved with the construction of the Eiffel Tower. He was a, actually a real person called Emile Nogier, and it's about their relationship, how it develops, and uh, basically that period it was it was it was very difficult to uh, if you're a woman in your 30s um, as she was um and she's she was widowed it was very difficult to kind of uh continue on and have a life because of the uh, conventions of the time. So it's, it's, a, it's a love story set against the yeah, construction now, of the Eiffel pretty Tower. Yeah, that's
1: unique, a <laughs> unique combination of, uh, you know, of things. How yeah. did that idea form? Have you got a, a thing for the Eiffel Tower or <laughs> how, how did you decide to, to write this book?
2: Yeah, well, I used to be a fashion editor for a uh, Scottish paper, and I used to go to Paris quite a lot. And I've also got a relative who lived there. For, she's dead now, but she lived. She she used to live there, and um, like most people, when you go to Paris, you see the Eiffel Tower because it's it just towers above everything. And I, I used to always avoid it because it's full of tourists, and it's basically if you go anywhere near it, you just get gets. Swallowed by mm-hmm. buses of Japanese tourists. I have actually been there once when I was about 18. I think I climbed to the first level, but that's all I would like, didn't have much money. So I was, we walked to the first level then, that was it. And I think one day I was there and uh, I just sort of looked and thought, What's that, what on earth is that building doing there? It looks so different from everything else. Mm-hmm. And why was it built? And I, I had absolutely no idea why it was built and who who did it. Eiffel Tower, I kind of vague idea, Gustav Eiffel was an engineer, but I didn't know when, I didn't really know anything about it. So I came home and looked it up <laughs> on Wikipedia, um, and I, um, I thought, wow, this actually is actually a really interesting story, because it was, as you probably know from reading a book, it was only meant mm-hmm. to last for 20 years, and here is this incredible building from the 1880s, which, which is still there, it's become such a symbol of of uh, Paris, but it, but, you know, it, it it, it was i thought this is really really this is, i found it a really fantastic story i thought this is a great backdrop for a novel but also i was interested in kind of the period i mean paris in the 1880s was was, was really incredible it was a period of change of art of writing of music and the eiffel tower kind of it almost symbolizes this new way of thinking uh and then I thought how how does that connect to people? I, I thought, well, the more research I did, the more I kind of realised that while wow, all these all these changes were happening, for most people, life was very kind of difficult and challenging and we had all these very all these very old fashioned um conventions, like for example the the jewel which I have in my book. That was still happening. And yet they were building these amazing buildings and doing these amazing paintings and you know composing incredible music. So that was the kind of the and so idea behind it.
1: many of your previous novels were also historical fiction but not set in the same place. Why do you like yeah, yeah. to write historical fiction?
2: I think I like to, to learn. I like research. I love researching. I love discovering stories I didn't know. Um, the last – Maybe you've seen the Lily, the luminous life of Lily Aphrodite that came out about eight years ago. That's about mm-hmm. Berlin in the 1930s and uh, about the rise of, the rise of uh, fascism, basically. It starts in 1900 and goes to 1939, which is a crazy amount of research to do. And I would, would mm-hmm. never do it again. Um, it was fun, but it was a lot of, of reading. Uh, I just wanted to discover something, and I, and, and I, d- I learned all about Germany, all about how the the people who who were in Germany at the time of the First World War, War and the Second World War, uh, well, how how they suffered and how, how you know. So it was, it was and I like to learn, I like to find out stuff about people. And I, there's also there's that, usually there's, there's a narrative about things we we think we know about um Germany, we think we know about the war, we think we know about these things, and the more, when you start to look into it, you find that there's mm. many narratives. Have n't been told, and and often we don't know. We we have, we have the, the idea we have is, is is wrong, so that that's or it's slightly slightly wrong. So I love another thing. Kind of so different as you
1: said, that that's the luminous life of Lily Aphrodite, and there's also the songwriter, which is set in New York around 1916. Yeah. And as you say, this this one's in Paris. Mm-hmm. So do you start? You say you like to learn, which I completely understand because sometimes you can get a bit um lost in the learning do do you kind of let's take the one in berlin do you take the the location first and start researching and then think of the story to go with it or or the um, other way around
2: um i think i, th- I mean I, I think it's really important to write about people so i suppose look at the berlin novel it was that was the reason I wrote that was because my great-aunt had lived in Berlin for in, the 20, in the 20s. She'd come from Russia and lived there, um, and then moved to Paris. She was the same one who lived in Paris after. Um, and she lived there for know, five couple of years, and it was 1927, and she worked for the film industry. And when she was a very old lady, um, I was volunteered by my father to take her on holiday to uh, the seaside in Paris. So uh, she used to go every year to um, Cannes, and then when she got very old, she used to go to a place called Cabour on the north coast. And I used to go with her uh, from Paris mm. in a taxi. It was insane. Um, but she was very interesting. She was very argumentative. She was very um, cultured. And she used to say to me, you must have heard of, the, you know, Ufa, the wonderful German film industry, and I would be like, um, not really. And she, oh, how could you not have heard of that? So I kind of re- originally learned about that just to kind of uh, have ammunition to kind of argue with her. So I was I would, I read up on it and I found this incredible story about all about the Berlin film industry. But um, I suppose when I when I read it, I wanted to imagine what it was like for her to live there at that period. So I kind of, so it's kind of i interested in the history, but I'm also interested in what it was like as, as an experience to be that person, and to, to to be to be people living in that period, and what was it like to be um, working in the film industry in the 30s, And what was it like to be living in the mm. 1980s, oh, I was 1880s in Paris. You know, what did it feel like to wear the clothes? So it's it's almost writing for me is a bit, but it's a bit like sort of kind of wanting to experience it, sort of sort of secondhand, so I kind of. Experience what they like, for example, I'm very interested in mm. what they ate, what they wore, uh, you know, how they what they did, not just the kind of the history you get in books, which tells you dates and uh, they did this and did that and did that, but you know, what did it actually what it would feel like to wear to wear um, you know, mm. seven layers of clothes as, as they did in the 1880s. Uh, obviously, I don't know, I, I never actually tried them on, but I can imagine. And I suppose the more you learn about things, the more you can imagine what it, you know, the fact you have. Um, you know, a a criminal and you have a, a you know, a, a bustle, with a bit of wire, and you have uh, another undershirt, and mm. it must be boiling um boiling, and it's very uncomfortable. So I suppose it's that kind of way into the into the using history to get kind of get into the period, and then imagining what, who would live here, what kind of people would they be, how would that affect your 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 life and you the way you express yourself, and, and the, the most important thing are the people, and then uh, after that, I I I think I. Every story needs this kind of conflict, so I kind of, I, what kind of, what's, what would be the biggest conflict for a person living in that period? And um, I think for every woman, we, we now, 30, for example, as a woman mm-hmm. now, is, is young, I and mean, you've got tons of opportunities. You can you can have children get, you can do anything when you're 30, so much the same as when you're 20. But in 1880, when you were 30, you were, you were <laughs> totally ancient, because most people got married when you were 22, 21, that was, you know, that was the kind of age, and if you'd been widowed and you you were that age your Mm -hmm. life was practically over so that was very interesting and in Berlin I had the the film industry I I remember thinking what would be the most interesting to to write about would it be a writer would it be a a secretary and I thought well actually an actress would be the most interesting because they would experience what the whole the whole what it was like to be in the the, the, um, German film industry in a very Mm -hmm. kind of immersive way so that's and,
1: and so, yeah. as you say, with history, there's, you know, dates and the big events, and that's very easy to find out and find out more about. But um, I think that, uh, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. You have obviously did enjoy finding out how they experienced all those little things because you've woven them into mm-hmm. the book so seamlessly. So let's just take the Paris one um, as an example how did you find out? How do you go about researching what they ate and what particular kind of corsets they might have worn and and that sort of thing and what they did on a day-to-day right. basis? How did you find that out?
2: Um I think just reading reading novels uh reading uh, going there's a, there's, a, there's a whole series of travel books called Bedeckers. have you heard of them? They um, they were brought out in the Victorian times, right up to the kind of 30s and 40s, and there were these little red books um, for, for different, for travellers, because travelling at that point it was really, really exciting and fairly, it wasn't, it wasn't new, but it was, it, you know, how do you find, how do you navigate a city, for example. So, the books will have, uh, um, for Paris, they'll have all the restaurants that used to go, how much they cost, all the hotels, um, all the, all the, the Louvre, where to go, and um, the and sometimes it will say you know this restaurant is particularly good for pastries and whatever and uh, it costs it costs 17 francs for, for 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 a set course meal including wine or something so we'll give you roughly the ballpark um so i can i can find out where they would where, where they would have gone roughly how much they would have spent um kind of food they would have eaten um I and mean, that's kind of through novels uh, or through um or for example, for, for the um nineteen, uh, for the for the really Aphrodite weather, I think I was looking for a, what kind of food they were eating in the twenties, or nineteen eleven, and I, f- I found the found the um online the the menu oh. from the Titanic, and that had all the different it's, it's the courses that they actually ate at that period. It's quite, but it, <laughs> it sounds horrible, <laughs> but it's it's quite interesting yes. to see what they would have eaten. Um, what they would have worn, I mean, you can go to look at adver- advertisements at the time, We have, uh, you know, this wonderful one who calls it, costume museums, um, having the internet is a fantastic uh, benefit because you can, people, people mm. on Pinterest, for example, there'll, there'll be whole sites of the 1880s and it'll have like 200 photographs of, or images of pictures of what the people would have worn. Um, I just kind of, I, mean, I used to be a journalist, yes. so I suppose I'm quite good at digging up stuff. Like if I think to myself, okay, I want to find out exactly uh, what kind of restaurant or what kind of dinner they would have had in 1887, and I, I would yep. kind of follow my nose. Any through books, books or just through uh, newspapers or advertising or, um, what else? if' even like watching little movies or photograph, it's all sorts of things. Basically there's no kind of mm-hmm. one place I go to. I kind of amalgamate information from I So it's great to have that find.
1: background as a journalist, as you say, because it becomes second nature to you to find out this kind of stuff. And it also becomes second nature to you, I imagine, yeah. to get it right. Um, now you yes. you have been yeah. a journalist and you like a, you're like you a feature writer. Um when did yes. you decide that you wanted to write fiction, or did you always know you wanted to write fiction, but that just sort of came later, kind of thing?
2: Right. Well, um, well, I used to the kind of feature writing, feature writing I did was very long pieces, like two to three thousand pieces. Like, 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 um, um, I went on to Albania once for two weeks, which was an experience. I would do want to repeats. It was fun, but it was a mm-hmm. cr- crazy place. And uh, I went to, um, you know, Butland's holiday camp for a nineteen seventies weekend. So there were kind of, kind of things you, I went to and did and, and experiences. Um, uh, and then uh, I have basically had kids, so uh, I, I used to write a bit trees as well. But all of a sudden, when I had, when I had my kids. It was very difficult ah. to meet the deadlines because, you know, i get phoned up and say, will you, will you do this by, by today at half past three? And like, yeah, fine, but once you have a kid, it's very difficult to do that. Um, but I also started, I entered a competition for radio writing. writing a It was a, it was a radio for and they had a competition for young writers and I sent in a short story and it was the first short story I'd ever written and uh, it, it won so I went to London and it was recorded. And they said, do you have any other ideas for radio plays? And I was like, uh, yeah. So I thought up an idea for radio play and that was recorded. The BBC, was my, my first, they were my first break, wow. so they were my first commission. I still write for them, write radio drama. And then after that, I started writing more short stories. And then um, I interviewed an agent ah. for the Scotsman, very nice man. Charles gordon and, and at the end of it he sent me a, a, a note saying thank you very much that was wonderful if you ever want an agent please get in touch and i was like wow mm-hmm. does he mean it is he just saying it because he's being polite and i thought well I better try i was going to say i'll send in my stories and see what he thinks so he took me out for lunch and i remember we sat in there and we we're having lunch and he was chatting away about all sorts of things and he was a lovely old man he's was, he was about sixty. and he knew everybody he represented prince charles and fae and and was very um he's very very very, very, very highly highly established and sweet and then halfway through the lunch I kind of went are you are you do you want to represent me and he kind of looked at me and as if to say I'm sitting here buying <laughs> you lunch what do you think and I was like, oh, okay okay lovely you great it's okay and so he took me on even though I only had short stories and I and then he I wrote a screenplay I think and he, he said this is I don't I think I have people interested in it but he yeah. said this would make a great novel so I thought oh I don't think so okay so um I used it as a basis for a novel, and that was my first novel, and um, he actually wow. died after a few years. He felt like he did each other tragically, but he was my first um, kind mm-hmm. of supporter, and he encouraged me to go off and do these things and write a novel, and I never actually thought of doing one before, but then when he suggested this, I was like, oh, well, maybe I could write a novel." Um, so uh, Wow, that's how I now
1: you've also written children's books, right? So why, why did you decide, what was yeah, that yeah, experience like, like to- compared to writing uh, books for adults?
2: Well, the first one was with a friend of mine called Sarah Pinto, who's a children's illustrator. And she's a, her son's the same age as my daughter. And we met at nursery school. And uh, one day we said, wouldn't it be fun to write a book together? So every day I used to go into her house and we'd sit and we'd Mm -hmm. drink coffee and eat chocolate. And I made her type because I thought if I type it, I'll write it myself because I'm quite a fast typer. And if she types, then she'll be more involved. And she's the worst typer ever. It took absolutely ages. It was so annoying. I'd sit there kind of her watching her like two fingers. But we wrote this book together called My Invisible Sister, which we sold to America, to Bloomsbury. Um, and it didn't do that well, but it was fun to write. But it did get taken up by Disney, bought it, so it's now a movie oh, wow. called Invisible Sister. Um, so that's nice. So that that was it was good fun. But then there was when I wrote that with her. I just thought, yeah, this is really good fun, and uh, I could probably write, a, write one myself much quicker. So after that, I, I decided to write a write one kind of adventure story, mm. really for my, my son because he a, he likes he likes reading, but he likes kind of fast paced books, which are exciting. And then I read him a lot of stories, um, that like like that, like um, like all the James Bond ones, kind of called. So I decided to write a book about pirates and historical fiction about about what it was like to be a pirate, which turned out like most of my books to, not to be quite like what we, you thought what we, you think it would be like. Um, being pirates were um, actually um much. Well, so. some of them were all were obviously. Uh, murderous and awful and, you know, horrible company. But then I discovered they a lot of them had a very strong code of conduct and they had a kind of pirate's charter. You had to sign to get on a boat. You had to agree like, not to get drunk and not not to dis- disagree with the, with the captain. And with them. So uh, I, I, I wrote a book uh, called the, the Pirate's Boy about a boy who becomes a pirate and it was great fun. And I have plans to write a second one. Did you find it easy
1: <laughs> to slip into uh, that age group?
2: Um, I did actually because the thing about writing for children is that you have you write all these incredible adventures but the actual emotional um, mm. dramas are quite simple so I had a He's, this boy, he meets this captain called Captain um, Black Johnny, and they have this relationship where the boy is, like most of the ch- children's books, the boy is, is much more competent and clever than the captain's, he's a bit, he's he's quite nice and very charming and very dashing, but he's he's not 100% on the ball, so quite often the boy will save the day, and you know, it's that kind of relationship, and he, he goes to kind of love the pirate. Um, Black Johnny as a kind of almost like a father figure. So the, the the kind of emotional relationship is quite simple. Whereas when you're writing for adults, emotional relationships are much more complicated, and it often takes much longer to work out how you how you navigate mm. through the kind of emotional complexities. Whereas children What did are you
1: enjoy most about writing to capture what we cannot keep? About the process of writing it? it
2: well, I I, I I have written about. Um, War like f- the Berlin book was all about the Second World War, and then the the so was this, this the um songwriter was about the First World War. Then in between, I wrote a book about the Spanish Civil War, which which I'm still working on. So I I wrote t- I read tons of big heavy tones about battles, and then I after that I thought I don't want to write anymore about, about war. I want to write about something which is kind of more fun and more kind of interesting, and yeah. people don't die all the time. So um. I loved researching the the period about you know, the 1880s in Paris, and just I, I absolutely loved it. In fact, right now I'm sitting at my desk, and in front, above my desk is a picture of uh, the ice shrink in um, the the Parc de Mons, the, the, the Boulogne, which um, is not there anymore. I've got a, I've got an etching of it, which I bought um, from the 1880s. But also, I love going to Paris yeah. because it was a wonderful <laughs> excuse. So, I had to go and research things so I, quite, I went to Paris quite a few times to go to various places and to do things like rowing on the the, the, the board in the boat and just walking around and kind of absorbing kind of the atmosphere and I love paris and it, I don't think it's cha- obviously it's changed a lot in a hundred years, but it's still you know, the, the architecture was, was was created to kind of um be very permanent and give you a sense of uh, I mean the spaces are huge in Paris. It, it, if you've it's been to Paris, nice. but you know you, you walk, yeah. But the state the, you, know, you walk along the street and you know the, the very grand buildings, and then you walk into a, a, a huge area um, next to the Louvre, for example. And there's bridges and there's. Yeah, it was all very grand and beautiful, so you feel a certain way when you're there, and I'm sure it felt the same when you are
1: writing, so in the throes of writing, what's your typical day like like do you do you have a particular routine are there certain things you any ritual writing rituals that you have in the morning or um, do you have a word count target? Um,
2: well, as a former journalist, I, I definitely am uh, mm. quite obsessed with word count. So I try and write the minimum of 500 words and they're probably most, a maximum of about 1,000. If I start going over 1,000, then I'm probably writing rubbish. So I try and stop. Um, I always usually re- rewrite, reread, and rewrite mm. what I've written the day before um, to get me into writing. And I usually have a piece of music which I use throughout that project so to get myself back into the frame of mind I was when I stopped Ah. I play the music and it has to be the kind of music which doesn't have words as most writers say but a piece of music maybe piano or something specific to give me the sense of
1: where I was Michael Cunningham told me that he does the same thing but what was your piece of music for to capture what we cannot keep
2: uh, well, I, there's a couple of pieces. I like a guy called mm-hmm. Max Richter. Have you heard of him? He's a, compo- a film composer. who writes for a film. And uh, there's also a guy. What's um, other guy? But things like uh, sometimes I listen to Chopin and Bach. Uh, and uh, mm. Sort of piano music. Well, I play the piano very badly, but but um, quite often I, I listen to piano music. Um, who else? Uh... That's, that's, that's that's okay. well, so, who,
1: you're um, so yeah. a lecturer in creative writing in Glasgow. What do you yeah. think the biggest mistakes people make? Uh, you know, the people who are trying to write fiction, good fiction.
2: Yeah. Um, I think they probably finish, think it's finished when it isn't. <laughs> I think a good writing, which reads smoothly on the page, has been r- written. Uh, You know, I don't mean when I say rewritten. I don't mean completely rewritten. I mean read and a few words changed here and there, and and read again and again and again and again. So it reads a certain way. So it has a sort of smoothness. It's almost like combing hair. You have to go go over again and again and again, picking out a word and putting in another one and making sure the sentences all kind of flow well together. Um, so they they probably think they say it's finished and you you look at it and think well I can tell you, you you haven't quite finished it or you need to do some more work or else um, plotting is very difficult for everybody I mean I think my students all find plot difficult, I find it difficult Um, it's like a mathematical puzzle Do you plot first? Do you plot before you? No, well I usually, I know where I'm going I know the ending and I know roughly where I'm how am going to get there? But I leave room for myself to be surprised. So if something comes along and I go, oh, of course, yes, of course, he, you know, he, he, he hid the whatever in the in, in the cupboard, and that that's changed the plot. So I'm quite open to kind of things that change. But I have a rough idea, but I, I I'll I will kind of diverge if I find something better. Because quite often, writing is a process. It's very difficult to have a whole novel in your head, and often in the process of writing things. You, you learn how, how the book should be when you write it and you learn how the characters should act and it's only in the middle of it you can see it. You can't see it from the beginning. You, you, you have to be in it before you can, before you know um, or before you can see things. So be prepared to be surprised and things to kind of pop up and go, that'll happen. Um, so um, plotting is very difficult and I, I always tell my, my students like it has to be two by two equals four. You can't have... Uh, two by two equals five. So if you start off with a problem, you can't answer another one. at The end. You can't come along and, you know, uh, she's in love with the wrong man, and it's, mm. all, it's, it's, it's all awful. And then at the very end, she discovers mm. her mother was a nun. <laughs> I, you know, something else. You know, you to. There has to be the answer to the problem, otherwise it doesn't work. And that's the kind of quite a lot of people make that mistake and sort of yeah. answer another question and you think that doesn't answer me. Any sense. So. You know that's the kind of thing i, I, I talk about and uh, the plotting is it's really difficult and it, it, it it's, there isn't the right plot either there's many plots and you just have to choose the one which or go with the one which feels right at the time and it, that can change i mean you know rewritten i i have personally rewritten, even though i've had an idea for an ending i've rewritten it maybe five or six times. And to, but just knowing I've got the ending gives me the confidence to write so towards it. So, what is
1: your suggestion to your <laughs> students about how to improve their plotting? Is it to follow what you've just said that you did, where you know what's going to happen in the end, and vaguely what some key points in the middle, and then just let yourself explore? Yeah.
2: Yeah. No. Well, I, I give them the most infuriating pieces of advice, that, and I, I, I'm sure they get really annoyed with me. But I just say. If you think it's like if you think it's gonna work, try it. I don't know if it'll they come to me and they do that work and I was like I'm like I don't yeah. know. Try it and see. Yeah. See if it works. And they go, But can't you can't just tell me it's gonna work. I said, like, No, I can't. You have to try it and see mm-hmm. if it might work, it might not. But um and they kind of they go, you just just tell me what I can write so I can write my book. And I'm like, I can't. You have to just think of an idea and try it. And yes. they get you know it's probably the it's supposed to then they come to the eventually they come to me and like, with night with a with the plot and they're like yeah and they're like, yeah, you got it well done but you had to you had, there isn't any right ways there's just many ways and some will work better than others and that way works can you give so, us so an then, idea
1: yeah. if you can <laughs> hopefully you can remember some key dates or or just some time frames of how long did it take to get your first draft and after that point you know how long it took to do rewrites or editing can, can you give us some time frames on that
2: yeah, I think so. I think I think it took me about a year wow. and a half to write the first draft. And then it took me another, probably... Because I, I worked, yeah. so it took me probably longer. But I think working is a good thing because you, it's good to leave it, write it, and leave it aside yes. for a few weeks or whatever and then come back to it. Um, but I probably got a year and a half and then probably another six months to go over it and do the draft. And then, you know, then I to my agent and she'd have some suggestions. So I'd go back and fiddle around with it more. And then it was... Sent to my you know, editor would have some suggestions as well, so I'll go back and have a look at it and fiddle around with it. So probably mm. three years, because as you probably know, getting it published, getting it to a publisher who likes it, and getting it to yes. in the system takes a long time. But I think that's a good. One. And then it's taken me another two years for the because. They slotted it into a publishing date, so it's probably finished about a year and a half ago, but it's taken a year and a half for, well,
1: do you mean for it to it, come out when it was finished because... a year and a half ago, and that included the the feet the edits the re- the revisions after the edits why wow. Yeah. yeah yep yep yep, All right. yep. so in terms yeah. of um what yes. uh, the, like what you're doing now, what's next for you
2: yeah, I'm writing a novel, another novel um it's about a, a plant hunter. Um when I was writing about uh Paris and berlin, um, which is great fun, and I thought, actually I want to write something about Scotland because <laughs> I live here and it's kind of it'd be fun to write yes. something which is about here so um although the Glasgow is involved it mm-hmm. is is mentioned jealously and to capture what we can um so i once, i i I became interested in plant hunting um these were Victorian, usually men who went to places like China and tibet and um, South America, places where nobody went to look for uh, for plants which hadn't been discovered before. So they travelled for years, for a couple of years at a time, and, and quite often came to, to sticky ends, kind of, um, and had died of terrible diseases or, or fell down cliffs. And, but they sent back seeds to uh, Kew Gardens in, in London or to Edinburgh, Kew uh, Gardens. And if, if you found a plant, it was named after you. So there's quite a lot of rhododendrons and um flowers and which which all have these names names of these scottish plant hunters like foresty forest which is george forest um so i decided to base my novel on a fictional plant hunter um who who's who's operating around 1912 um but it's it's about him but it's it's mostly about his wife who, who comes back from india where she's been living to scotland to um to see his sister, who lives there in, in this big house called uh, called Balmara. and um, she, uh, she, um, the, the two of them kind of live with this man who's who's got got away, and uh, they kind of, the relationship to him is quite different. So it's about these two women and how they deal with this absent man who's obsessed with the. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. um, wow, something. that's a, that's a, it's very specific. <laughs>
2: Yes. Well, I've read about a third of it so far, but it's it's basically yeah. nineteen nineteen eleven, and uh, I've had to learn all about how you um, searched for plants and the kind of the the process of it and how the whole um, how you collect seeds and and, and and I've never actually been to India and I've never been to Tibet, but how these people travel to the land and. What what they did, how they with the natives, and how they That's how they fascinating. Operated. You've gone to
1: so, so you obviously have very very different settings, and you literally learn a whole new world each time with your research. Do you retain that information? Yeah. <laughs> or, or is it kind of like exams, and when it's done, it's done? You know what I mean? You you, you can. I kind of,
2: I kind of do actually. I kind of do. I mean, when I went to um, Berlin last year, and the, 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 when I went to Berlin. I wrote that book that had a, f- a fictional orphanage in a place in Berlin, and and it was exactly where it is. It's strange because I, I had I decided to have that orphanage there because there's nothing there anymore because it was all bombed in the war, and. It could have been there, but it's, it wasn't. Obviously, it was invented. But it could have been there. And it's funny when you go through Berlin and the S-Bahn, I look across at where I had the orphanage and think, "Oh, that was where the orphanage was," even though it wasn't even was never there ever. It's kind of weird. I've got like this imaginary city in my head as as, awesome. as well as the real one. Um, <laughs> and, and it's the same in Paris. I walk around and go, hey, that was where she, that was where they yeah. they did that thing." I think, "Oh, no, no, that was no, of course not." Oh, that was, that in my head.
1: Well, I think people are definitely trans, uh, transported to Paris, Not well, not only to Paris but to another era when they read this book. But it also has this, this incredibly strong story. And as I said, it's, you know, I read a bit of historical fiction and sometimes you when you read it you, you, you actually think to yourself, I can see that they researched that bit and they wanted to put that in, but I never got that feeling with this book. Yeah, it was yeah. just seamless. So congratulations on the book and yeah. and thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it.
1: Well, there you go, Beatrice Cullen. And, um, you know, it's just kind of nice sometimes to be transported off into another world away from your
0: everyday life, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, and I think that's what the best books do for us. They take us, you know, away from our humdrum reality and put us, you know, into someone else's far more glamorous life in many ways. Far more glamorous. And I think that's what you want for a summer read too, isn't it, is that sense of escapism, of getting away from it all. So, yeah, sounds like a great book.
1: Yeah, awesome. Mm. So... excuse me, sorry. So now that we're in 2017, I think it's time for all us authors to not only plan our writing goals for the year, but to have a think about some platform building goals for the year. Don't you agree? Mm
0: -hmm. I totally agree.
1: If you sort of thought of one thing that authors could start thinking about, what do you think it should
0: be? Well, I think the first thing—the first thing that I think that, because um, you know, I I do get emails and Facebook messages from many authors who are, you know, reluctant to to start, you know, building an author platform because they think mm. that it's about self promotion mm. and they're worried about, you know, selling books and particularly when they think they don't have a book to sell yet and they're worried about, you know, promoting themselves. There's this whole notion of it being about self promotion, but mm. I I think the. One thing I would really like authors to start thinking about is that it's actually – it's actually not about self promotion, building an author platform. It's no. about making connections, yep. and it's about sort of creating a relationship with people about who you are as an author. So not necessarily about buy my book, here's my book, let's do this, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But more a sense of like this is who I am as a as a as a person, making a connection with readers in the sense of of. Um, of the feeling that they might know a little bit about you, and yes. I think the other thing that stops for authors from doing this is this notion that they're going to have to reveal their life to strangers. Yes. Um, and you know, I think that that perhaps if I could say one thing, it would be that you're not actually revealing your life; mm. you're looking at revealing yourself, your personality. So personality. you don't, yeah, you don't yes. have to, um, you don't have to do a day, daily sort of. Uh, diary update of what mm-hmm. you're doing every day and take photos of your kids and do all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. It's more a sense of who you are as an author and the kinds of things that you're doing on a daily basis but not really. So um, if you have a look at my Instagram feed, my Facebook feed and that sort of thing, you'll see that my posts are about writing. They're about my dog because, mm-hmm. you know, Procrasty pup and I spend a lot of time together. You'll see my garden. I talk about my kids but I don't uh, – sort of talk around them a little bit, like it's a yeah. little bit about conversations that we have. You don't necessarily, you, you know, you don't see their faces. You don't you never see them. Like you, if you go back yeah. through, you know, eight years of blogging, I don't think there's a single photo of my children anywhere. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's about sort of like – just that sense of allowing people a little bit into your world without allowing them into your life. And I think that that's probably an important distinction to make. And so I guess my platform building tip for this week would be for authors to think about how they can do that. What are they passionate about? What are they interested in? What kinds of things can they share without necessarily having to open the front door to their home?
1: Yes, absolutely. And what's your advice then when people say, but my life is so boring. My life is so boring.
0: I I've got nothing remotely interesting to share. Well, you know, I I think anything can be interesting. I'm talking about a dog and a garden Mm -hmm. and some (laughs) writing, (laughs) you know, you're a writer, make it Mm -hmm. interesting, find the angle that is going to make it interesting. And you want people who are interested in what you're doing and what you're interested in. So, you know, share bits of your writing. I mean, when I say share bits of your writing, share bits of the fact that you are writing for starters. That's important. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like it's, it's about how it's like anything. It's about how you present it that makes it interesting or not. Anything can be interesting if it's presented in the right way. And as a writer, as an author, you're looking for the angle on what can I possibly do to make this daily walk look interesting to other people. Yes.
1: And I have to say, and I'm not just saying this because I'm your friend, uh, but but I have to say that if you want to listeners, that if you want a great example of how to do exactly that, as in how to write about those things that you think might be boring or that you think might be everyday, but turn them into interesting snippets of information, then do look at Alison's Facebook and Instagram feed in particular uh, because she does that really well. It's a great – she's a great example of how she has used those social media channels to build her author platform. And the great thing is when you actually do look at her feed – it doesn't even – you don't at all think, oh, she's clearly building her author platform <laughs> in any way. It seems completely natural because it is. It seems completely authentic because it is, and yet it does serve the purpose as well of building her author platform. So have a look at Allison's feed because it does work. And, of course, Alison's just – nailed this whole concept and has a blueprint for this concept and she has documented that blueprint in her course how to build your author platform which is which just works so well if you simply follow it and you can mm-hmm. find out more about that at writerscenter.com.au/platform that's writerscenter.com.au/ Platform and um, check it out because it will, it, you know, it, being the start of 2017, maybe this is a good time to really get your bum into gear to build your author platform. So mm. yeah,
0: have a look. Well, thanks for that, Val. You know, as my friends, it's very nice of you to, to say things like that that my, you know, pictures of my dogs and my roses are interesting. I'm. <laughs> I'm bolstered by that.
1: Yeah, and it. Oh, yeah. I've got to ask you, since Alison knows about gardening, so I actually have a garden question for you. But I won't actually bore, re uh, bore, bore listeners with it. However, if you do, listeners have some advice on how I can stop the possums from eating all of my herbs. I would also be grateful. Just ping me on social media. Which brings me <laughs> to: Where do we find? <laughs> where do we find you online, Al?
0: Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T dot com You'll find me on Facebook at Alison tate Writer on Instagram at Allison Writer and on Twitter at at Al tate A-L-T-A-I-T What about you Al? where do we find you
1: Well yes you'll find me at Valerie Koo that's K-H-O-O on Instagram and on Twitter and you can connect with me on Facebook just search for Valerie Koo I'm the one in Sydney and uh, it yeah, it be, be great if you wanted to connect with us and remember that you can send us a question which we'll, we will answer in an upcoming episode and you can send it to podcast at writerscentre.com.au. But until we chat again, thanks so much for listening. Bye.